this is why I shouldn't be on a sports podcast. Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is December 17th, 2019, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor here at 538. I'm joined in the studio by senior sports writer Neil Payne. Welcome back, Neil. Thank you. Neil. Oh, geez, I'm really jumping in. Go for it. Love it. Sorry, listeners. This is Chad Matlin, an editor at 538. <laughs> well, so not only are you jumping in, you're not allowing me to introduce you. It's the holidays. This is a, such I'm being a good very start generous. to this no, show. You know what this is? This is my old host and my new host. <gasps> Worlds are colliding right now, and I'm literally <laughs> sitting between them. Oh, it's no. Very, un- very uncomfortable Who vibe. will you listen to yeah. most? Remember who your editor is, Neil. Choose a favorite. You and Jeff are facing off in the 538 Fantasy Football <laughs> that is Final. right. We Wait, made in the, the championship. It's the in the Champions League game. or the Europa League? <laughs> no, Sarah's in the Europa League. Okay. Yeah. This is the, yeah. the actual Champions League. I, I beat our producer, Grace Lynch, in the um, losers bracket. Well, for the record, you know, uh, I'm sure uh, it'll be a while before we can process the result of this and, and bring it to the listeners who I'm sure are waiting for it. For but sure. I am favored right now. By a point and a half in the championship. Because Jeff is starting Gardner Minshew? That's weird. His uh, his situation is not great. And yet he scores a, a lot of he points. He scored a lot of points last week. Yeah. So I'm a little worried. On today's show, we're trying something new with a 538 approach to assessing cheating scandals across sports. And we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. First, let's pause for a word from this week's sponsor, Candid. It's that time of year again. Time to share smiles and good times with friends and family. And, of course, to exchange gifts. How about you give yourself the gift of straighter, brighter teeth with help from Candid? Candid's aligners are comfortable, removable, and completely invisible. Treatment takes just six months on average, and aligners cost 65% less than traditional wire braces. To get started, an experienced orthodontist will create a custom treatment plan for your teeth. There's no hassle. Candid ships your aligners directly to you. And in this season of giving, Candid donates $25 with each aligner purchased to Smile Train, which brings safe, 100% free cleft lip and palate treatment to children around the globe. So give yourself the gift of Candid. Go to candidco.com slash takedown and use code takedown to get $75 off. That's candidco.com slash takedown, code takedown for $75 off. The New England Patriots, no stranger to scandal, have been accused again of cheating. During the Week 14 game between the Bengals and Browns, a week before New England faced Cincinnati, a camera crew working with the Patriots videotaped roughly eight minutes of the Cincy sideline with a direct view of the Bengals' signals for play calls and the players coming on and off the field. The Patriots denied that this was an attempt to cheat and said the camera crew was just there to film a scout from New England. But, of course, the Patriots have a bit of a history of bending the rules, if not outright cheating. We've been discussing cheating a lot on the show recently, including the Astros sign-stealing scandal and Russian doping in international competition. So we figured it might be time to apply a sort of system of evaluation to these various allegations. Today, we're going to try to apply a big helping of 538 rigor to how we assess a cheating scandal. I'm not so sure I would say, say it's a big heaping, but go on. It is a heaping. <laughs> we wanted to get at which kinds of sca- scandals should matter more in sports instead of just the breathless way they're talked about in sports media. So, Chad, can you explain the rubric that we used? Yeah, we came up with a few questions. Um, the idea here, as you just said, being what is actually matters for the for the game or for people's consumption of the game versus what is something that the media talks about because it's Wednesday and there's nothing else to talk about. Anyway, some questions we asked. Can anyone do it? The idea here being, uh, is the cheating something unique to the team, or could anybody just decide to rig games or to, to bet on games or whatever else? Then the question was, did it hurt the team that actually did it? Right, like a scandal involved um, throwing games so that you were hurting the team that you are on. And then there's the hurting opponents. That one seems obvious enough. A lot of uh, what we came up with hurts opponents. That's sort of the point. It's usually the yeah, point I feel of like cheating. All, <laughs> all of these qualified under that. It would be interesting to try, yeah, try and figure out 
what's worth well we'll get into that what 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 might be worth cheating that doesn't actually hurt your opponent um then there's the question of does it hurt fans this is the one where i think in our spreadsheet which we'll get into there's the least things filled in because i think a lot of these cheating scandals affect the game or the pr or create a pr crisis but don't actually affect fan enjoyment um of of the sport does it hurt the league is some commissioner sweating because of whatever leaked out or is the league upset only because someone got caught? And then there's the Hurts individual players. A combination of, you know, some of the ones involve player safety. So it could hurt an individual player uh, if they're like, have a system of bounties designed to try to injure opponents. Who would uh, do that? Who, who would do such a thing? <laughs> um, and then there's other ones that are like, you know, steroid scandal. The player's health uh, mm. could kind of come into uh, into play. Or sign-stealing you know, theoretically would hurt the opposing pitchers, you know, stats, which could, you know, that kind of thing. Too. Then there's the integrity of the game, which must be upheld at all costs, folks. And some of these cheating scandals, do they hurt the integrity of the game? And I think that's the the distinction there is that hurts the league. We were kind of seeing more as like a, a PR thing. Like maybe it doesn't actually hurt the integrity of the game, but it makes the ga- the league look bad. Whereas hurting the integrity of the game uh, this category is more for like, yeah, it actually does sort of call into question how fair the the contest is. Yeah. So, Neil, you came up with a um, point system to quantify these <laughs> I, things. You know, I, which I I, is know where the rigor I comes in. That it is a uh, point system or even something <laughs> where, uh, that, that someone came up with. But basically, <laughs> each of us involved in the show, we uh, looked at the list of scandals and uh graded them across these dimensions where if we thought that a scandal fit a certain category we would mark it as such uh with our initials and then um i don't know if i'm going too deep into the no, to the mechanics going. of the oh system God, are here. you gonna tell us what formula you used the in excel the so if then pretty. loop that saw initials then created points uh that is what happened <laughs> it was in google docs chat so um and then uh yeah we could sort of choose ones that we wanted to emphasize more or sort of downplay more and there were kind of half point bonuses or reductions i was not in, told in about the half regard. point bonuses really no one told chad about the half point bonuses no one told our producer grace about the half point bonuses either so basically neil you rigged this system to give myself undue influence to get a no sarah did that too yeah i totally did it oh, too yeah. <laughs> but again the point of all this is not just to create an arcane spreadsheet that none of our listeners will ever see wait really the, the point is to try and begin to assess what a scandal like this recent patriot scandal actually means for the people who have to be on the other side of the takes that result from it, right? All week long now, we've heard people uh, on TV and, and elsewhere say, oh, this is the reason the Patriots are cheaters. They're doing it again. They can't be stopped. It has to be stopped. The NFL won't be sound or safe again until we all, you know, root out this Emperor Palpatine in his hoodie at the, on the sidelines in Foxborough. But is that actually so bad? This is what we wanted to sort of begin to assess and look at this scandal relative to others to understand what actually is cheating in a modern era where there's so much data and information flowing around. And, and then on top of that, what matters to the fan versus what matters to the, to the blabosphere that goes around the sports? <laughs> the blabosphere. I like that a lot. We're all living in it. Are we no, members 100%. of the blabosphere? I think we I think are. Obviously, yeah. I mean, I also think, for me, I think this is important because cheating is a part of sports. I think there's a lot of people who want to pretend that that doesn't happen and that these are pure, pure games, which is ridiculous because games have been – people have, again, been trying to find an edge, whether that is legal or not, in the within the rules of a sport forever. And so what is – what is what do we allow? What are we okay with? And what are we not okay with? And I think that there are instead of just talking about all the Patriot scandals it, with the same outrage, there's a scale there that that we were trying to get at so that we know how to talk about one of these when what actually matters instead of just because everyone's talking about it, right? Yeah, and on top of cheating being part of sports, it's also part of what makes sports fun a little bit. Teams and players can become legendary for cheating in a way that they wouldn't be otherwise, right? If I if I mention to you uh, the White Sox of the 1910s, you have no you know no memory or, or anything to pull up. But if I mention the 1919 Black Sox, which were the White Sox of the 1919, then all of a sudden 
you know, there's there's some cultural understanding of that team. And so cheating can become a way for us to put um, a pin in a, in a team or a player and, and make them infamous, which in our society, I would argue, is basically as good as famous. <laughs> well, and cheating is sort of I, I think that the word is bad because, you know, no one wants to be a cheater. But like, did yeah, like, you're a pumpkin eater at that point. Well, exactly. Yeah. We Nobody wants that. But like you know, there's that um, the a recent game where LeBron James took like four steps with the ball <laughs> with the referee, you with the referee that watching him, yeah, that on our spreadsheet. yeah, just traveling as, and we didn't put traveling on our spreadsheet because it's so like it's it happens so often. It's, it's not even cheating right, anymore. It's like what would we even? How would we even evaluate that? But I mean, technically, that was against the rules, and he got away with it. So he's a cheater. Yeah, it's so, sort of like um, when they talk about the uh, the unwritten rules being broken. That's like this. This is a written rule, yeah. but it is broken, and no one cares. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, does it even matter? And and and, and no, probably not. But then these other things maybe do matter and and do hurt the integrity of the game. Real quick, and then we should get into the actual cheating examples we're talking about. I do think what Neil just said is important because in the in the age of Moneyball or whatever you want to call it, teams over and over again try and optimize for these little unexplored corners of the rule book, right? Or or of the salary cap or whatever, you know, try and figure out the angles. And in some ways, capitalizing on the written rules that aren't called is part of that. We've seen that with James James Harden and the way he herky-jerky sort of takes his threes and tries to draw a foul, right? And so I think part of what we're trying to suss out in this exercise is are any of these cheating scandals, quote-unquote, that different from the transgressions that we are all okay with and we all sublimate as, oh, that's just the way they play the game. Right. Flopping, I guess, is another good example in soccer. Yeah, absolutely. And how and some people get really worked up about it and some people don't. And it's sort of it changes through time. It changes with your allegiance to a team that maybe does it more than others. So but it's not it's part of the game. And I think we need to acknowledge that some of these things are part of the game, then whether we want them to remain part of the game or not is sort of the issue. So Let's go through these scandals um, and talk about what, how we evaluated them and what they maybe mean. So let's start with the NFL and starting with the Patriots. So including the latest Spygate, New England owns three of the NFL scandals on our list. Chad, how does this latest version of spying on opponents compare with the first version and then with also Deflategate, which is maybe even more infamous so the first buy gate in 2007, the Patriots were caught videotaping opposing coaching signals. Uh, the idea, I guess, being that they could know what plays were coming if, if they if they knew the signal. And here we are in uh, 2019, 12 years later. They're alleged to have been caught doing the same thing. We have video evidence of them filming the sideline. Video evidence with the guys having amazing Boston accents that are just like everything you want Patriot employees to have. Do, do you want to do that accent? No, I don't think okay. so. So some people were like, well, why would they the, – the Bengals are terrible. The Patriots are going to beat the Bengals. They don't need to cheat here. Um, but that's a new coach for Cincinnati that the Bengals haven't played against before. So they have – the idea is that they have this archive of – they have this vault of evidence for what signals – coaches across the league use so they needed to get it on the new coach in the league so this is si- the equivalent to sign ceiling with the astros yeah a little bit right yeah except sign ceiling is a part of the game in baseball and the nfl it's again that's what i'm confused about is is it the recorded aspect like if someone was sitting in the stands and logging it on paper does that make it more okay because well, yeah. it's te- less technological? Yeah, I think that that actually is sort of the rationale for the difference because I remember when Spygate 1 happened, there were um, ex-coaches that said, yeah, we had guys up in the um, you know the, the coaching box with binoculars looking down at the opponent's sideline and kind of you know trying to decipher the, the signals and everything and then writing it down and passing it down you know to our coaching staff. And that was like fine i think it was the the whole recording aspect that uh, similar to you know the astros thing is about speed which you know is a little bit less of a concern with this um this patriots thing but the astros were doing were using technology to gain an edge that could not possibly have been gained without the aid of technology as well and so i think that you know that is they all come down to and i think we said this when we were talking about the astro scandal 
how does a sports league grapple with the fact that it was invented in a time in which there were no Apple Watches and there were no video cameras and all of that, uh, and people were stealing signs. If they did it, they did it the old-fashioned way, uh, and I guess that was okay. You know, There wasn't a, a, a rule against it. And so grappling now with the fact that when you have this technology, how do you police the use of that? What's an appropriate use of that to, as an aid in you know, the, the process that is actually sort of at its core as old as the game itself? But to me, that this exercise is meant to get at is I, I'm always fan focused. And so is the fan affected by whatever cheating? The Patriots, Spygate's, I'm not sure if the fans are really uh, affected and so or hurt. Yeah, and I mean it's worth pointing out also that in the first Spygate, um, there were these allegations that they had sort of taped the walkthrough of the St. Louis Rams before the Super Bowl in 2001. I mean, it's not clear, you know, how how much of this stuff was ever eventually proven, but maybe that's also the point is you have a team that's won a bunch of Super Bowls over the years, and then you have repeated instances of sort of evidence coming out that in a way delegitimizes the the way that they've won and therefore delegitimizes the outcomes of entire seasons or eras of the game. And I think that's the way in which the fans would be hurt. But it is worth pointing out that in our little spreadsheet, none of us uh, marked down the Spygate controversies as hurting the fans. And in fact, both of these rated as below average in terms of our opinion of how impactful they were. I mean, Deflategate maybe we'll get into it that was like very low well, one right. of the one of the biggest kind of nothings on the list uh the the spygate ones were a little higher so then real quick just so i have a finer point on this if it hurts the game imbalances competitive play does it hurt fans you guys are saying yes i mean it hurts specific fans you know that and, their yeah. team was and that uh, was harder cost. that that was harder yeah. for me to suss out in this too like which fans were hurt were, I mean, was I hurt by that? Her cousins is doing a good enough job all by himself. <laughs> that Thanks is for that. inaccurate, outdated information. <laughs> oh my you God. know, I think that, but then Sarah comes into the office every week and still is grumbling about her cousins. So I'm not sure. I just want to point out that I did not bring this up. <laughs> um, so I was more interested in the integrity of the game as the proxy for fans being affected um but i think but it's a it's a fair point and i and i think i also i was also i used the hurting fans more when i could identify specific fans that were hurt and so maybe fans of the 2001 rams should have crossed my mind there so let's talk about how the spygate scandals compared to deflategate as neil as you said deflategate was we kind of thought saw that as a nothing burger in our in our um assessment um anyone could do it it didn't really hurt the team it may be hurt opponents but we're not really sure about that um it gave the league a black eye and that was really the biggest thing and i think none of us really cares whether the league gets a black eye right yeah and and that's why i think the the, one of the most comical things about it is that brady was suspended for four games for that and then they lost draft picks and were fined a million dollars that's a pretty harsh penalty over something that you know I think certainly there are people that are anti-Patriot fans that sort of got some schadenfreude out of seeing them, um, you know, penalized for uh, for one of their um, scandals. But at the same time, yeah, it did seem like the penalty in, spy, uh, in Deflategate was almost like a reaction to the idea that they had, like, not penalized them enough for Spygate 1 uh, and destroyed the tapes and, you know, all that stuff uh, that came out there. So, I don't know. The Patriots are, like, such a fraught team with all of this stuff. I don't know why they're the ones that keep, you know, it keeps coming up that they're taping and they're, you know, doing all this stuff. Why is it always them? Well, is it on- is it always them? Is it only them? Or because they're good, are they targeted yeah exactly i don't know yeah. i mean and does that i mean i wonder this is sort of my thing with the astros too the astros won the world series and the astros have been good for the past couple of years the astros had their own other scandals so when sign stealing came out belatedly much after it happened it was a big deal because of the precedence there um, so I think there is some of that. There is that that kind of target on the back. And it's impossible for us to know whether they're good because they cheat or whether 
everyone cheats and they're the ones blamed for it because they're good. Like it's just impossible for us to know that, right? And note too that in baseball recently, it's a very good team, the Astros, who have been caught out on a few different fronts, both actual cheating and then ethical transgressions, I guess is the best way to sum up the, the Taubman uh, episode from, from earlier this, this postseason. If the Astros were the Astros of – when were they really bad? The late 90s, early aughts, I want to say? Even the like early the 2010s. 20, yeah, 2012, um, would we be hearing about sign stealing? I don't know. Were right. they sign stealing? You know, because uh, – and we'll get into tanking, uh, which I lobbied to be included in this list. I don't know that it's a sc- – I think it's a scandal. But yeah, as tanking, you don't want to steal signs. That would help you. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you you want to lose. Do you want to steal signs to get those players good at stealing signs for when they are oh, better yeah, players? Oh, yeah, you want to train them? It's like a them? long game, right? With Deflategate, is the fact that equipment is involved, did that make it a bigger deal? Because the, the ball that you use should be neutral, right? It should not have anything to do with you know tilting the game for one team or another. Yeah, I think that was part of it. It's that distinction between hurts the league as in makes the league look bad doesn't protect the shield if you will versus um hurts the actual integrity of the game because like i don't know the who cares what the psi of the football was it's tom brady tom so, brady i yeah. guess <laughs> deeply needed that extra you know small fraction of a psi to throw more effectively to me deflategate and some of these other scandals had an element of only the home team could have done it Right. And that is its own kind of transgression, I think. This yeah, idea that agreed. there's home cooking and the Russia, uh, Sochi Olympic stuff that we talked about, uh, last, last week, the week before. Um, I've just been on the show so much. It's hard for me to keep it keep all straight. straight. Yep. Um, had this as well, where because the Olympics were being held in Sochi, the Russian, uh, dope, dope doctor was able to have, have the secret lab in the basement of the facility and all this stuff. And so I do think that, that, that suggests that there's, sort of an extra level of transgression, which is we're going to use the advantage we already have in which home team wins, whatever, 53% of the games, and we're going to push it even further. Yeah, but I I would say, you know, to that point, we do know that home advantage exists and we can't totally explain it. We don't know, you know, we've tried to parse out travel distance. That's something that we put in our ELO models. And it doesn't fully explain uh, home advantage. We have to put in like sort of a constant, almost like a fudge factor to say like, we know this thing exists. We don't know why. So who's to say that part of the why is not across the board home cheating? It's my screaming in the stands it's doing. Well, sure. Of course. Yes. Chad, I've gone to Mets games with you. I've heard you scream at Eric Young Jr. Can verify. (laughs) That guy should have been a cornerback. Anyway. So also on our list for NFL scandals was the New Orleans Saints bounty gate in which players were paid bonuses to injure opposing players, including $1,000 for a hit that resulted in an opponent being carted off the field. Lovely. Those were called cart offs. Yes, exactly. $1,500 for a hit that knocked a player out for the rest of the game. Those were called knockouts. Thanks. Saints defensive coordinator Greg Williams started the bounty program when he joined the team in 2009. Neil, does bounty gate count as cheating. I feel like this is a fraught topic for you, Sarah, <laughs> because your Vikings were sort of the recipients of this. Um, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, like it is a valid scandal, uh, to, to include on this list. In fact, we rated it as, I think, yeah, I think it was the highest, um, uh, uh, just because it checked off so many different boxes. You know, it, it definitely hurts opponents. It literally hurts opponents. It hurts specific fans. It hurts the league. The league. Specific fans. Specific fans Meaning sitting me. to yeah. my left in this <laughs> studio. Um, it hurts the league at a time in which it was sort of starting to grapple with um, concussions and, and sort of the specter of head injuries. Now you suddenly have a team that's like care so little about player safety that they're like paying for specific uh, injuries incurred uh, on opponents. And yeah, it hurts the integrity of the game. The the part where it sort of starts to blur the line between like cheating in the same sense as the Patriots potentially knowing the other team signs or uh, the Astros sign stealing or whatever is the idea that like these are NFL players. Are they really going to 
do things that much differently uh, because of the bounty on Brett Favre or whatever uh, than they would have normally. Like if you're rushing the passer uh, in the in the middle of an NFL game, do you make a snap decision where you're like, well, I was gonna go light on him, you know, when I'm sacking him, but since I've got this ten thousand dollar bounty for injuring him, I'm gonna go harder. Like I don't know if that calculus was made by the players in the moment to to go harder. Like I don't. I want to break down what the, where the transgression was in the in the bounty gate. Coaches all the time are motivating their players to do certain things. So this idea of trying to manipulate your player's style, as uh, you know, we very much welcome this part of the game. I would have to imagine that there are bets inside of locker rooms for whoever can get the most receiving yards or the most um, touchdowns or whatever all the time. So it's this intent to maim, which understandably is where it transgresses. But I guess I'm not that frustrated by the cheating, quote unquote, here as a result, because the cheating is just about motivation, right? It, it's not it, – they motivated to a wrong end, but it's it's no different than motivation in other spaces. The mechanic of the cheat is not that is not that shocking. Now, you do reap the benefits of like the backup having to come in because your guy injured the, the starter. I guess that's the cheating, you know, at the most fundamental level that it like helps the team, right? So this is the Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan of the NFL. A little bit. And that's actually on this list, too, I think. I, I think that football is a violent sport and there's no getting around that. It just is that. But there's a violence level that you agree to as a football player, that you are all in the same space, that we are going to hit each other hard. But we're not trying to kill each other. And that, that I think, violating that violates the integrity of the NFL because you have, you have, you have this mutually agreed to proposition that we're, we're going to go after each other hard. We're going to take each other down. Injuries will happen because it is – a violent sport, but intentionally, but headhunting, but trying to injure someone's career or, you know, kill them possibly is you can't, if you're going into it, then that, then it's not a game anymore. It's something else. Okay. And that matters to the fan because the fans want to see the players on the field just to bring it back to the sort of. For sure. And it, and it happened in, in high profile games. It happened in conference championship games and not just against the Vikings. The Vikings were not the only opposing team. Got to put that this, caveat. I know. In it's not just about the Vikings. Packer fans should also be mad. Aaron Rodgers was, uh, had a big bounty on him. And I, I completely disagree with you, Neil, that when you put $10,000 on getting a guy carted off the field, that is different. You're always going to be motivated to sack an opposing quarterback. But there is there is a line being crossed when your job, when you're going to get paid extra to hurt someone so much that they can't come back. And I guess we have seen, you know, the degrees to which hits uh, happen be modified by the rules themselves yeah. in the years since then, because now there are extra penalties against, you know, your Vontae's Burfecht-esque, you know, head-hunting hits uh, or whatever that sort of do suggest, although players also have, have kind of complained about some of these where it's like, this is how we're taught to tackle. This is, you know, I go hard all the time and you're asking me in this moment to kind of pull up or whatever, you know, some, uh, like all of these things. Sure. So I think that's, that's part of the conversation. But, and I think that's yeah. that whenever a rule changes like that, there will always be that because it's something different and something you have to learn. Though it seems like players are getting the, you know, don't drive the quarterback into the ground. And it's not that hard to not throw your entire weight. You just learn, you'd learn different and you, you, you learn differently well, and you and practice they, differently. I mean, they also got, they've gotten rid of and kind of weeded out some of the players that now are considered dirty. Right. You know, or they, in the, in a previous year, they would be considered dirty and that's like, but they still are okay, you know, to play. And now it's been more codified, like, yeah. you know, players like that should be suspended. There's another element to Bounty Gate that made it cheating to me, which is that bounties allow te teams to get around the salary cap. Oh, that's a good one. Because they can give bonuses to players for field on the field actions that are not, you know, income. And the GM was eventually suspended and sort of directly involved or at least implicated in this as well. So that adds an extra element where you're sort of like well, we're going to pay this guy $50,000 less in his cap hit, but he'll make it up in bounties. And sure enough, of everything that we listed in the spreadsheet, which again, listeners have not seen and do not know the full extent of, Bounty Gate was the highest ranking of, of everything. Which is interesting because it's like, 
it, we we are conflicted about where it falls on the edge of scandal. Yeah, it's difficult to pin down the cheating aspect of it, but it is probably one of the most unsavory items on the list. Yeah, to yeah. me, where it, it really established itself as cheating is the potential for immediate effect on the game as well as the ethical transgression. Sports are games and you can't lose sight of the goal. And the goal should not be to eliminate your opponent by making them – like hurting them so much they can't play. If that's the goal, then I don't know what we're doing here. The last NFL cheating issue we covered was the recent suspension of Arizona's Josh Shaw, who has been injured all season, has not played a game, but he was caught gambling on NFL games this season. Chad, where does that fall in our hierarchy of cheating? Pretty low. And I think it's because, well, as far as we know, what he was betting on, didn't he had no control over what he was betting on. They no. didn't find evidence that he had sort of used his inside information, at least. Also, he's like such a, you know... Non, non-entity of a player this season. Yeah. You know, he's been... And so as a result, like, out. it sort of felt like a hobby. Like, like you're going to penalize someone for doing something in their spare time. Especially since the leagues themselves have kind of gotten involved <laughs> with things like FanDuel and right. kind of, you know, legalized uh, betting recently that it's... But I think it's interesting that, yeah, we rated that one as pretty low. Uh, it was an 11.5. Uh, average is about 16. But... Pete Rose, his scandal was a 16.5, and the uh, Chicago Black Sox scandal was a 22. And so I think those both speak to maybe just the, the, the severity is related to the level of control that the, the player had over, you know, potentially throwing games for his own team. Although Pete Rose claims he only bet on uh, Reds to win when he was uh, managing them. Uh, but also maybe like the, I don't know, the historical scale of it also, you know, the, the White Sox threw a World Series. That's like a, that's, that's pretty a much deal. the worst yeah. thing that you can do, at least in the, in the minds of baseball. That was sort of, I think they sent a message with, uh, all of the lifetime bans and everything as much as anything. And then they kind of had to live with that, uh, precedent when it came to Pete Rose and his Hall of Fame, you know, status and all of that, uh, because they had sort of sent such a strong message and set a strong precedent with the, the Black Sox. So let's talk about MLB. So these attempts to cheat, they kind of run the gamut. So there's those game throwing things, which are sort of different than from, um, sign stealing, which is different from steroid use, right? So, so what makes these different attempts to cheat different? Yeah, so let's talk about them as a, as a group, maybe, um, sort of what's on, what's in our, our word bank here. So we have the Astros sign stealing, the Cardinals hacking scandal in which a former scouting director for the Cardinals hacked into the Astros system of player evaluation. And hacking is kind of a generous term. He knew Jeff Lunau's old password and it still worked. <laughs> Change your password, buddy. That's on you. Then there's the Pete Rose scandal uh, in which he gambled on games he was involved in. The steroids scandal, Barry Bonds being the um, avatar of that. And then game throwing with the Black Sox and then just other general ball manipulation, the deflate gate of the MLB involving pine tar and other scuffs to the ball and whatever else. In some ways, like a wide gamut there of different stuff. Of those, um, as I think um, Neil mentioned earlier, the Black Sox received the highest cheat score, 22. Again, the average is 16.5. So it's it's less than Bounty Gate, uh, but still quite high. And I think it must be because of when the cheating was happening in part there, right? The stakes were higher. It was it like it, – it's not that different than what Pete Rose did really, but it felt almost um, – there was a loss of innocence to it too. Yeah. The idea that players wouldn't want their team to succeed sort of shatters the game for a lot of people. Like if that that's just like – <laughs> why don't Why you, you want yeah. to win as much as I want you to and win? And seems to hurt the fan most directly. Right. It, it breaks the faith of the fans, right? Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. And I think also, you know, there was sort of a, a criminal aspect of, you know, the types of people that were um, providing the money, you know, and the and 
the the seedy underworld aspect of it that they wanted to kind of rid from the sport by sending such a strong message that if you involve yourself with these um you know mob types or whatever uh at all you're going to face really harsh penalties and you saw that with other sort of similar scandals like um college basketball had a had a game throwing scandal i think in the 40s or 50s or something and they literally didn't come back to New York City for the um, Final Four for another like fifty years after that because they were like you know and and you see it the with cheating Vegas. in New York Vegas also you know it took a long time you know I know the Oakland Raiders are going to move there next year uh, and they already have a hockey team as well but I mean it took a long time to get people to kind of even warm up to the idea of having a team in Vegas so I think there's that aspect hanging over a sport um, is also a big factor where it's just like you don't want any unsavory characters compromising the integrity of the game. What I think is interesting is that, you know, we had some divergent opinions about some of the other ones like the steroid era. You know, that one I think is a little bit more difficult to pin down on because the categories are a little less clear cut. You know, it helps the player and maybe it hurts the opponent. And I guess you could say, won't someone please think of the children that, you know, might be motivated to use steroids because they saw Barry Bonds juicing or whatever. But I'm, I'm famously, you know, long time sort of like steroid supporter, steroid um, User. Uh, denialist <laughs> oh or, you know, I don't know what you would call it. Yeah. Sort of like um, look the other Down way on, player. on steroids. Yes, exactly. Because I don't know the only person at the end of the day, unlike betting on your own team to lose or whatever, when Barry Bonds does better because of performance enhancing drugs, the Giants benefit from that, you know, and yes, it might provide some kind of undue benefit to him at the expense of players who weren't juicing. But as we know, during that era, pretty much most players or many players were juicing. Uh, and so, you know, if Barry Bonds hits a home run off a pitcher who was also juicing, I don't see the big deal. And, and also he was the one, you know, of all the guys that hit home runs during that era while using steroids, not everybody hit 73 home runs in a season. Barry Bonds did that. So well, I, I, I also think it's not it's not completely clear to me how much steroids helps. Like in, for hitting the ball, just being big and strong does not do that much, right? Like there's so many more things that go into it. Steroids may be more effective for pitchers in terms of recovery from this sort of unnatural arm motion. Um, so you might say that Barry Bonds was just trying to keep up with the pitchers. I mean, you could make that argument too. And yet Barry Bonds has this black mark now that will, you know, maybe keep him out of the Hall of Fame forever, which is kind of amazing. And yet we rated the Barry Bonds and the steroid scandal as a 17.5, higher than average. So there's a clear difference in punishment between steroid use and and the in-game kind of cheating that I find really interesting. Players caught using performance-enhancing drugs right now are automatically given suspensions of 80 games the first time they're caught, a full season the second time, and a lifetime ban for the third. Meanwhile, pitchers caught scuffing the ball illegally, like with a nail file, or using a foreign substance like pine tar, are usually suspended for like 8 to 10 games is all. They're ejected from the game in which they were caught, but then the suspension is like, what, two turns in the rotation, right? So, Chad, do these punishments fit the crimes? No, but no sports league's penal code really is consistent when you compare it to other parts of its penal code. In steroids, let's remember Congress got involved because that's how much of a threat to American decency, the steroid scandal in baseball was, even though when the steroid scandal started, it wasn't that illegal, according to baseball's rules, to be doing this sort of thing. Like what the the penalties you just mentioned were in response to the steroid scandal. And so there is something very paternalistic about the way that the leagues treat athletes' bodies versus the way that the leagues treat the the objects that are used as part of the game. The idea here being that the when athletes um, uh, alter their bodies, they're altering the the real lifeblood of the league. Whereas the baseball is just an object, and if you alter it one day, then 
and you're punished for it, then you won't keep doing it going forward. But steroids, it's forever changing you and therefore the game. I can't really get over that. Like what is happening in during a game, A, is more in MLB's control and B, has more effect on what's actually happening in the game. I mean, if a pitcher is putting crap on his arm to put on the ball to make it harder to hit, that tangibly affects that game. Remember, though, that this – I mean, free agency in baseball is, was the 70s, right? Am I making right. that up? And so, you know, this is a league in which there is a generational tradition of owning players' rights. And – Sure, we're 40 years on from that. But as we've seen across American society, it is generational habits take a long time to filter out of culture. And I would think that this that applies here, which is that the teams or the commissioner essentially gets to determine what players can do with their their bodies the way that teams used to be able to determine where the bodies played. Okay, so what about the NBA? The NBA has had surprisingly few cheating scandals, so we decided to look at the league-wide issues of tampering and tanking. Neil, how did we assess those? Well, so uh, we considered tampering to not be that big of a deal. Uh, so like, you know, when LeBron uh, strongly suggests in the media that he would love to play with Anthony Davis and then lo and behold, Anthony Davis gets traded to the Lakers, that kind of thing. How lucky for him. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What are the odds? Um we sort of didn't really find that to be that problematic, to be honest. One of the aspects is this can anyone do it came into play because not everyone has LeBron. So, yeah, I think that that might be playing uh, an aspect in that. Uh, and that's just sort of a normal aspect of the game. For tanking, you know, I think people would dispute whether tanking is a scandal uh, or at least is sort of on the same belongs on the same list with cheating uh, scandals, but we rated it very highly, and I think we're all sort of anti-tanking on this um, Well, on this to me, this gets panel. at what this whole exercise is about, which is what is what does the league say is cheating? What does the, the blabosphere say is cheating? And then what is actually cheating? And tanking is an accepted form of cheating until the NBA decides to, you know, Adam Silver decides to reorient the draft or whatever else to change the incentives. But Tanking is a response to the incentives that the league sets up right. and what the penal code allows and does not allow. But in terms of how – I mean it's not that it, – it also breaks the faith of fans. Yeah. Is it really that different from like the Black Sox, right. you know, in the sense of you're intentionally being worse, you know, and compromising the outcomes of specific games, yeah. which affects teams that beat you, you know, and they're uh, – who basically – the the teams that get to play you more often get some kind of undue advantage uh, that's not within the realm of competitive balance as well. One other scandal we wanted to talk about was the NCAA most recent instances of punishing players who were accused of receiving preferential treatment. Neil, how does the case of Memphis star James Wiseman stack up on our list? Well, we were actually sort of um, not all that convinced that it was really all that bad. We gave that the lowest score of any of the items, I think, on the list. But I think it's also the NCAA is such an interesting thing to unpack, like NCAA scandals and how we view them. Uh, because on the one hand, it's cheating in the sense that presumably there are programs that aren't offering blue chip prospects, families, you know, to pay for their, their move across the country or whatever. So it does give teams that engage in it an improper access to players relative to the rules that have been set up for everyone to to kind of abide by but at the same time we i think generally take a lot of issue with those rules that limit the ability of amateur athletes to you know make money off of their likeness and sort of cash in on their talent you know if you are subverting a uh, an immoral system are you bad or are you good? I think that's kind of the interesting question that comes down to this. Well, I think that brings us close to the wrapping point, which is that the way that we are first informed about scandal comes – the league influences or you know, the body, the governing body influences what we think is right and wrong based on what the rules are or what past – um, what past punishments have been. And it leads us to think of what's cheating and not cheating. But there are things that we don't consider cheating that 
are just as important to the integrity of the game, such as the punishments on domestic violence, that don't really enter this conversation. And the the punishment amounts is radically different compared to what some of this cheating stuff right. is. Right. And, and like we, you know, we didn't include domestic violence or drug use that isn't that aren't steroids you know we didn't include the the rampant drug use of baseball in like the 70s and 80s um because those are sort of a different kind of kind of class the punishments for domestic violence that keeps getting stuck in my craw tom brady served four games for a scandal that we sort of we don't really think mattered it probably didn't change the outcome of those games it got a 10.0 on our yeah it was very low on our scale you know who else served a four-game suspension ben roethlisberger who was accused by two separate women of sexual assault who else got a four-game suspension greg hardy who was arrested and convicted of assaulting and threatening to kill an ex-girlfriend that conviction was a bench trial, and it ended up being overturned after Hardy had asked for a jury trial, and the assault victim wouldn't testify, which is a very common thing that happens in assault cases. But a judge first declared that Greg Hardy had done physical harm to a woman, and still all he got was a four-game suspension, the same as a quarterback who maybe just liked the grip on a slightly under-inflated ball. That is so, that is so far out of whack in – in how we should think about what these sports are that I kind of, I can't even really get my head around it. And that's why I think that, you know, if we were trying to figure out which categories, now that we have our little cheat score system mapped most to uh, what the leagues considered to be important, we would see that the, the idea of like the PR disasters for the league and what the media decides to focus on and perceive as being, you know, a problem for the integrity of the game would be the category that has the most weight. It's not about what actually matters, you know, uh, in the game. And you could even say, like, taking advantage. I mean, this is the Brandon Taubman thing. Again, taking advantage of a player whose, like, value in the market has been reduced by committing domestic violence and the fact that, you know, the the uh, suspension was not maybe as long as we would have wanted it to be. That could be considered a form of acceptable cheating, you know, in the in the stage of the game because you're sort of getting an undue advantage based on this market inefficiency that, you know, we've decided we don't care uh, about domestic violence victims. Some say, well, the league shouldn't even be involved in in extrajudicial punishment for players. But if you think about, to, to Neil's point, what the domestic violence transgressions or allegations, regardless of what they might be, are about it's about the athletes and the leagues serving this role in broader society about role models and all the stuff that we know about and if scuffing up a ball is unethical because it's not what kids should do in little league right then of course you would transfer the same idea onto uh, these punishments for for allegations of of domestic uh, assault. Yeah, if we don't want steroids in the game because we want children to not see that and do it, maybe we don't want domestic violence in the game because we don't want kids to grow up and 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 hit each other. I mean, that seems very very easy and obvious. The steroids to domestic violence correlation it, that that seems the same kind of thing to me. I would understand keeping what's happening in the game punishing that and having control over that. But if you're going to have other control over players' bodies, then you have to have control or exert some si- some kind of consequences over what players do with those bodies. So we went through this exercise to try to place a value on different kinds of cheating. Did we reach any sort of conclusion? Did we, did we decide what kind of cheating is I the I feel worst? like our producer is best able to tell us that. <laughs> I think in the end, we sort of reached this, this idea that what really matters for the severity of a cheat is different than what we're told matters for the severity of a cheat. That the PR scandal or the crisis communications that happen over it isn't necessarily what affects the fan or affects the teams or affects the players. That's what I'm taking away. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, I think that we put a lot of stock into things that sort of tangibly affected outcomes of games uh, and you know the 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 gambling i think was a part of that tanking was a part of that uh and and the bounty gate was a part of that where it, it things that it's more clear that 
the actions of either a team or a group of players or whatever sort of tangibly affected who won or lost. And it, I think we downplayed ones where it didn't seem as clear cut, you know, who was being affected. I also feel like for me, this crystallized the difference between um, actually affecting the integrity of the game and cries that something is affecting the integrity of the game. It's like integrity in quotes versus not. Um, and so I, I personally felt much stronger about cheating that changed the the makeup of the game or what we believe the game should be and not just things that were a black eye for a league. Those made a, a bit much bigger impact on me. All right. Well, I uh, will have to use this rubric going forward in the next inevitable cheating scandals to come. And come up with a backronym for it. And can come up with a backronym for it and uh, incorporate this into future discussions. Listeners, send us your best backronyms for cheating. Please do. Scoring. Yes. <laughs> Let's pause for a word from another of this week's sponsors. Whoop. Whoop. We're all looking for ways to improve our health, whether it's being smarter about how we train, making a better effort to get more sleep, or simply thinking about our body's overall wellness. Neil, while you were out, we established that Chad thinks I need more sleep because I look run down, apparently. Wow. Chad himself sleeps great. Really? So that's great. You have like a a young uh, child at home. Do you want to know how many hours she slept last night? Uh, How many? Twelve and a half. What? Listeners with children can be outraged. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, – Chad's doing it right? I guess. Whoop. Today's sponsor, Whoop, is a fitness tracker that goes beyond counting steps and provides 24-7 fitness, sleep, and recovery insights personalized to you. With Whoop, you'll get a daily recovery score that looks at biometrics like heart rate variability, your resting heart rate, and your sleep performance to let you know how ready your body is to perform. You can get next-level sleep insight with suggested sleep times based on what kind of day you had. You can track your sleep stages and cycles, and you can see how much sleep you got compared with how much you needed. Whether you're looking to be smarter about your fitness, better about your sleep, or just more mindful of your body's recovery, Whoop has you covered. Go to whoop.com and use the the code TAKEDOWN to get 15% off. That's whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com, and use the code TAKEDOWN at checkout. Optimize your performance with Whoop. Whoop. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of those descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. Neil, start us off. Today, I would like to talk about one of Chad's favorite topics, hockey. Uh, So far this season, the two best scorers in the NHL are on the same team, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl of the Edmonton Oilers. That's Chad's favorite team, I think. Um, McDavid is on pace to have 134 points. That's goals plus assists. Uh, And Dreisaitl is on pace for 131 130 points or more is a lot uh, for anybody, much less two teammates. So our colleague Terrence Doyle wrote a few weeks ago uh, that only 23 players in history have ever had that many points in a season, and only four sets of teammates have ever done that at the same time. Uh, and nobody has done it at all since 1996 when Mario Lemieux and Yaramir Yager, who only recently retired, which is crazy, uh, and I think is still playing in uh, the Czech Republic. Yeah, I saw anyway, a clip of him last night, still playing. So. Yeah, it's, it's kind of wild. Um, Yager had 149 points and Lemieux had 161 in only 70 games that year. Uh, but those were the last two to have 130 in the same season as teammates. Uh, so that's great company for Dreisaitl and McDavid, uh, just for a little more confidence. Context though, there was a lot more scoring in the league when most of these other 130 point seasons were recorded. Uh, so if you look at hockey reference, they have this thing called adjusted stats. They normalize every season to an environment of like six goals per game for both teams. And if you look at that, so Dreisaitl and McDavid are above 130 adjusted points this season. And the only other set of teammates in history to have 130 adjusted points in the same season were Lemieux and Yager in that 96 season. So we basically established that this is like the hockey equivalent of LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the Lakers. What I think is really interesting about this is that unlike the Lakers, who are just dominating the NBA right now, 
the Oilers are actually not that good, despite having maybe the two best players in the league. They only rank 23rd out of the 31 NHL teams in Hockey Reference's simple rating system. That's sort of their uh, schedule-adjusted goal differential uh, metric. And they only give the Oilers a 54% chance of making the playoffs. How's that even possible to have such two great players headlining your team and potentially miss the playoffs? That kind of thing would never happen in basketball. But as we've talked about on the show before, individual players have a lot more influence in basketball than they do in other sports, probably especially hockey. That's really strange to me, though, because there's the same number of players on the playing surface. surface <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get that in baseball. Time. Well, there's one more in, in hockey. There's the goalie on each side. Sure, there's five right, skaters, yeah. five players. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I always need the like basics of hockey. <laughs> like, you know, just how is But it you're really warming up to this. Sport? I am. Yeah. Hey, you should have. Freezing down yeah. to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that is weird, right? That it's there's a, so few it's players. It's a little weird, but so you have to think about McDavid and Dreisaitl only play about 22 minutes per game apiece. So out of 60 minutes in a hockey game, whereas you know LeBron James and Anthony Davis play like 35 minutes a game out of a possible 48. So there's a lot more time in a game in which there's neither of them on uh, on the ice. In fact, more than half the game. So they overlap for about 18 and a half of the 22 minutes per game, according to the site naturalstattrick.com. That's a, a good one for the <laughs> listeners to all check out. Um, but they spend 34 minutes a game with neither of their stars on the ice. And when that happens, the team's scoring drops from about six goals per 60 minutes uh, to only 1.4 goals per 60 minutes when they don't have either of them in there. So these are two guys that work really well together, and they sort of amplify each other's personal stats, but maybe it doesn't actually really help the team or it doesn't represent the best use of the team's resources. And, you know, the Oilers coach, Dave Tippett, has actually maybe sensed this because he's been p- playing the pair apart from each other more in recent games, it hasn't really worked. They won last night, but before that, they were on a pretty bad skid. Um, but it's kind of another idea for how do you turn these two great players into more than the sum of their parts instead of less, which is sort of what they've been uh, so far. Now, the Oilers are also really hamstrung by a lack of depth. Uh, so Hockey Reference has this stat called Goals Created, which estimates... Uh, no surprise how many goals you create uh, as an individual and they think that 39 percent of Edmonton's goals as a whole team have been created by just those two guys McDavid and Dreisaitl and that's actually if it if it holds up it's tracking to be the largest share of any team's goals created by its top two players since 1943 which is the beginning of the original six era in the NHL. Last year's Oilers were really high in this too. 37% of their goals were created by their top two. And that was second all time behind the 1999 Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, uh, which you might remember had Tamu Solani and Paul Correa as it's really like it was a two-man team. It's very similar to this Oilers team. You might remember. How could I forget? How, how could anyone forget the Ducks of, of that uh, I was actually that into that, that team. Yes. You were what? I was into that team. You were? Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. They had great jerseys. Basically, I mean... N- Pretty much nobody else on the team has really been contributing offense, uh, especially their defensemen haven't really scored many points at all. They're not really limiting opponent shot quality, so they're not playing good defense, and their goaltending has been mediocre at best. The Oilers are also still paying the price for a series of notably bad trades made by their former GM, Peter Chiarelli. Uh, and so they really haven't done much to build up around this core of McDavid and Dreisaitl. But I think it's interesting that the Oilers are... Even despite all of those bad moves, they're kind of a victim of the sport that they play in. Because if we go back to the Lakers and look at them as an example, it was pretty well acknowledged that L.A. had terrible management as well during the Magic Johnson era. And it's not really clear Rob Palinka is some kind of visionary at GM either. But the Lakers, again, have been wildly successful this year, and it's mainly because LeBron and Anthony Davis are one of the best duos in the history of basketball. So to me, this says in basketball, you can do a lot of things wrong, but as long as you form one of these cores of two MVP caliber stars, you can build one of the best teams in the NBA. They almost never lose. But in hockey, you can have the same caliber of players and struggle to win more often than you lose. It's all really interesting to me. And I, I mean, I admit how you build a good hockey team is, is a complete mystery to me. This also gets at something we talk about a lot 
um, in the office and, and on the show comes up quite a bit, which is sort of the structure of a sport and whether it favors individual athletes versus the team as a whole. It makes me think we should do a quiz at 538 where we ask people, do you care about individual excellence or team sports? How much randomness do you want in your sport? Essentially a sport select selector. We do team selectors sometimes, but like a sport selector would be fun to help expose people to these dynamics essentially. Yeah. yeah, design your perfect sport, or yeah, you know, yeah. and we'll find the sport that actually, matches it the most. It's badminton. Surprise! <laughs> oh no, High that's lie. when, that's when I'm comeback. like, I'm taking this over. Yeah, I'm that going would change be a my sad answers. Yeah. Result. <laughs> when we did the um, the World Cup quiz about which team you should support, I kept taking it until I got the team I wanted, which was not that actually what the team was I like ended Costa Rica up. Or something? I wanted Spain, and oh. then I ended up supporting England anyway. So I guess it really didn't matter. But that would be really fun. Hey, Neil, thanks for talking to us about hockey, huh? Yeah, you know, I, I did it uh, for you as a special treat, Chad. You're always thinking of me. I think that's a good place to end this week's show. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back in your feed next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. Be sure to review and rate the show. It helps other people discover the program. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think and to provide a backronym for our new metric, CHEAT. Our podcast producer is Grace Lynch. Tony Chow is in the control room. Our podcast commissioner and guest host today is Chad Matlin. For Neil and Chad, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.